0: Shall we pray? Dear Lord, you've promised a nail on the wall, so make me a nail upon the wall. Fasten securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of this hour's study is our discovery of the science of prayer. We wish you to notice five special Bible facts in this connection. The first is, our Lord often delights to answer selfish prayers, Luke 11:13. The second is, our Lord is especially delighted, however, when we grow in unselfishness in our prayer requests. Psalm 37, verse 4. The third fact is that the Lord loves to have us learn of him from his book of nature. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 26 and 28, and Psalm nineteen one to 3. The third fact, the fourth fact is that the Lord reserves to his own infinite wisdom the how and the when of the answer. And the fifth fact is he has revealed to us in the Bible and the book of nature the real science of prayer, 1 John five, fifteen. Noticing the first fact a moment, if you will, with me. And this is God's willingness to answer even selfish requests. I was a Christian for many years, friends, before this ever dawned over me. In fact, I was preaching for years before the thing ever came to my mind. Jesus answering requests in which there didn't seem to even be a shred of unselfishness. Take, for instance, the leper who said, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. The leper didn't say, Lord, if you cleanse me, I'm going to devote every moment to your service. And yet he cleansed him. You follow through the miracles of Jesus Christ, and you'll be astonished at how many people he healed, how many answers he supplied of individuals who never once said, I will devote all of the answers to your service. But on the other hand, under point two, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse four, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we read in First John, the third chapter, verse 22. He delights to answer because we do those things that are well-pleasing in his sight. You'll notice, my friends, that the Lord, in answering our prayers, in teaching us of himself, loves to have us take his book of nature and observe it. He said in in Matthew 6, it is recorded, Verses 26 and 28. Behold the, f- the fowls of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. And then he brought out the most beautiful lessons of trust in the Lord. And in Psalm 19, the psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. And yet you find that the lord reserves to himself the right to decide the how and the when of our prayers and so many many of us christians forget this we sort of limit the lord we sort of try to put him into a box so that he must answer our prayers our way remember isaiah 42:16 says call upon me and i'll answer thee And I'll bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they've not known. I'll make darkness light before them, the crooked things straight. These things will I do unto you. I'll not not forsake you, but I'll bring you blind people in a way that you've never figured it out. I have my own infinite way of answering your prayers. Aren't you glad for that? And then we can look up into his face and say... We know that we have the petition that we desire of him. The science of prayer means a knowledge that God has revealed to us that he will answer our prayers. True in his way, in his time, but he will answer infinitely many times abundantly above all that we ask or think, Ephesians three, twenty. And now for our experience of the discovery of prayer. From the time I was a little boy at the age of six, I learned that God answers prayer. My mother was dying of valvular leakage of the heart. She was 42 years old. Father reached up onto the shelf and he took down the good old Bible. He opened the Bible to a promise that says, I will rebuke the devourer. We knelt around in the family circle and we asked God, To rebuke the devourer. My mother was dying. And my friends, in a matter of moments, mother was completely healed. This is the God that we serve. He did not do it because we deserve it. He did it because he's God and God is love. And he loves to meet us at our own conscious need. This is God. Again and again through my early life, we experienced all kinds of answers to prayer. And so we were reared in the atmosphere of a belief and a confidence in a God that longs to come to man's rescue in every time of need. As I was entering the ministry, I came to the conclusion that the many promises in the Bible were placed there for us to claim in every time of need. And it came like a shaft of light to me. I remember that this was before I was an ordained minister. I was teaching a church day school. And I came across a series of statements in, in my favorite author's book entitled The Ministry of Healing, page 122. And I was so thrilled with these statements concerning how eager God is to answer our prayers. How we should look to him in simple childlike faith. And we should realize that when we claim a promise, it is as though God were bending over us. And looking right into our countenance and saying to us, I'm speaking to you, Glenn Kuhn. I'm not merely talking to people 3,000 years ago. Uh, This is for you. Believe this is my promise to you under like conditions and like need, with like faith. And I remember speaking to my young people whom I was teaching. I said, do you know? Look at this, look at this page. It tells us that nothing has such healing power as God's promises. It states that the same power Jesus exercised on earth 2,000 years ago is in his word, and that we all have the right, the same right that men and women did in the olden days, and that right is through the merits of Jesus Christ. It wasn't according to their merits, and it is not according to our merits. It is through his merit that we have the same right, the same privilege, to claim the same promises that he gave to other people in olden days, under like need, with like faith. When I entered the ministry, I was so thrilled to think that I could claim these promises of God, that as I did claim them, friends, I found a miracle-working God. And then, sad to say, I neglected the promises. And as I neglected God's word in the multitude of ministerial activities, requests on the right hand and requests on the left, and I began to neglect these promises, I discovered that I was becoming a backslidden preacher. I cried out to God and I said, Lord, what is happening to my thoughts? What is happening to my inner life? Oh, Lord, forgive me. And I went back to his word. I went back to his promises. I began to claim them again. And miracle after miracle took place. This is the God that we serve. And so it went for many years in my ministry. I had the privilege of leading thousands to Jesus Christ, of seeing thousands baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't think a person who would see this matchless love and power of Christ could succumb in the multitude of activities. It wasn't intentional. The old enemy of our souls was working on my heart, just like you'll work on the hearts of every one of you. And then it brings us to 1946. We're conducting a series of meetings in the city of Rochester, New York, in a beautiful auditorium. Hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands, were in attendance. We're passing out a little booklet entitled What God Has Promised to Those Who Are Regular in Attendance as an an incentive to their attendance. And the, the title of that little booklet kept appealing to my mind what God has promised. It drew from a Bible statement what God has promised, he's able to perform. And the Holy Spirit, it seemed, kept saying to me, why don't you go back to these promises? Don't you recall the mighty power that God has manifested in and through your ministry when you claimed his word? And don't you realize how weak you became when you neglected this, not intentionally, and yet you became weak? Why don't you build on this promise, on this word as never before? I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. And I remember I was taking from an hour to an hour and a half in my private devotions, morning by morning with the Lord, feasting on his immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing promises. About this time, in fact, for several years, some of my dear friends who are medical doctors had said to me, Brother Kuhn, unless you have a regular program of physical exercise, your ministry will conclude. And I recognized it in my own health. And I had been looking around for several weeks at the time that I speak of in 1946 for some little place where I could have a garden for the place where we were living had no garden facilities. So we had been looking around and praying and having this sweet, wonderful fellowship in Jesus Christ. One morning, it seemed that the Holy Spirit said to me, why don't you ask me to give you a place out in the country either today or else you'll forget it entirely, for you might be moved to another parish. And so I wrote a little letter to the Lord indicating, Lord, if you want us to look for some place, and you want us to secure a place out in the country, help us to find it today. And if we don't find it today, we shall know that we probably shall be moved. I went downstairs where my wife was doing the laundry work, and I remember the promise, and I claimed this promise, if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And I went down and I said to my wife, do you agree with me on this proposition? She said, yes. I said, all right, just as soon as you can get ready. We will start out today and we will find a place if the Lord sees that we should remain here. If we do not find it today, we'll know that it's the Lord's will that we don't remain and we shall look no longer. She said, all right. In a little bit, she was ready. We looked all day. We couldn't even find an acre or half an acre that people would sell. People offered us a whole farm, maybe 50 head of cattle, maybe $20,000 worth of machinery, or $50,000 worth of machinery. At the close of the day, we said, there's nothing that's appropriate. My wife said, well, I'll prepare the supper. And I said, while you do that, I'll make one short trip, and this will conclude our day. I remember as I was going out on Route 104 outside of Rochester, I was talking to my Lord. I wasn't telling the Lord how good I was, believe me. I was telling him how wonderful he was. How many times he'd come to my rescue in in times of need. And as I was reliving this wonderful power of God and his loving kindness, I said, now, Lord, I only have a few moments left. If you desire us to have a place where I can work in the soil, you'll find it for us now in the next few minutes. A thought voice instantly spoke to me. Look at your right, it is there. The thought voice was not an audible voice, but it was so clear and so distinct that I drove off the highway, I parked, I saw a large house and two dilapidated barns and an old cow that had gone into retirement. (laughs) And I said, Lord, is this it? And the thought voice seemed to say, this is it. But Lord, there's no for sale sign. Keep on going. I rang the doorbell. The lady came to the door. I said, is this the place that's for sale? And she looked at me. You ought to have seen her face, much as to say, who told you? She said, We gave a man an option on this place, subject to its being rezoned for an airfield. Just today he's received word, the zoning board has turned him down. So, yes, it's available. I said, where shall I go to secure the details? She said, my husband is down there at the market, and she told me where. I went down there, almost flew there. I walked in the place, and I said, is your place, I understand your place is for sale. He said, yes. I said, how many acres? He said, 80 acres. I said, how much is it? He said, $18,000. I said, sold, and I made him a deposit of $10. I'm a preacher. That's all I had to deposit. I said, I shall return in a few days, and I'll make another deposit of $40, and we'll work up the contract. A few days later, I bought the $40. That made $50 as a down payment on an $18,000 place. We went into an atheistic attorney. And uh, he worked up the contract. I said, now, in so many weeks, I shall bring into this office $3,500. In so many more weeks, I shall bring into this office $6,000. And the atheistic attorney who was a, the president of a large law firm and also the president of a large bank, but a very gracious individual, turned to me with a smile and I could see he was a little concerned. Do you have the money, the $3,500 that you'll, that you must deposit in a few weeks? I said, no, Mr. Liebschutz, but I have a house that I'm going to sell. And he looked even more concerned. He said, "Uh, you know, Places don't always sell within the limits that we set for them. I said, "Have no fear, Mr. Liebschutz." He said, "Do you have that much equity in the house?" I said, "No, I got it at bargain, and there's a little inflation." And this seemed to concern him even more, but he still retained his composure. And he looked at me again, and he said, "Are you sure you want that put down on paper?" I said, "Yes, Mr. Liebschutz. You see, I'm a minister." and I preach the Bible, and I claim Bible promises, and the Lord has never let me down. You know, he couldn't answer that. He said, all right. So he, he dictated this contract to his secretary. He didn't have the nerve to say, where are you going to get the $6,000 a few months later? Everything was worked up. The contract was signed. And I was so thrilled that I called my brothers. First, I called on my brother, Miles Roy, who was living with me at the time, to go out and see the miracle that God had wrought. And I told him about the letter we had written to the Lord. And when he looked the place all over, he saw the dilapidated barns. He saw that poor cow. He saw a little, very, very old, antiquated machinery. And this old-timey house, he said, did you say you wrote a letter to the Lord? I said, yes. He said, if you ask me, I don't think the Lord got his mail that day. Friends, I can't tell you what effect that word of doubt had on me. It seemed to reach the very pit of my stomach. And now I was concerned. I knew I must have help now. My brother David didn't live too far away. So I looked him up and I said, Brother, I want to tell you about a wonderful miracle the Lord has given us. I didn't tell him about the letter we wrote. That didn't go over. I said, we prayed to the Lord and the Lord gave us this place. My brother David went out. He looked at that old timey house. (laughs) He looked at those old dilapidated barns. He took one look at that old cow, almost limping, (laughs) and the machinery that was antiquated. He said, Glenn, you said the Lord gave you the answer to that prayer? I said, yes. He said, if you ask me, the devil answered that prayer. Now, It did go to the pit of my stomach. What in the world would I do? I must have help now. Now the devil said, you didn't get any answers at all. I said, I'm going to get hold of my mother. She was 80 years old. She won't talk that way. She came out. She looked it all over. She said, Glenn, how much down payment have you made? I said, $50. She said, Glenn, if you'll back out, I'll give you the $50. Now it seemed that my stomach was full of ulcers. What shall I do? I remembered the first elder of my church, Brother Kilgore. I brought him out to look at it. I knew he wouldn't say what my brothers had said or my mother. And when I showed him the place, brother, he laughed a laugh that I had never heard in my life. It was a hollow laugh. I could have driven the whole farm through his laugh. And I knew what it meant. Then I went into a Gethsemane experience. My brother David would come back. He loved me with all his heart. He really wanted to protect me. But every time he would come, he would say, Glenn, you're going to lose your shirt. You've been presumptuous. God doesn't answer presumptuous prayers. Friends, then I went into an agony. I determined that I would research presumption and faith. I went out on my farm and I researched every principle of how I know that God exists how I know that he's powerful enough and wise enough and loving enough to come to my rescue. As I was kneeling, in great agony, I saw a little flower. I picked up this flower, and I said, Dear Lord, one of my very brothers who had told me that God didn't get his mail that day, he had done a sermon in which he showed how nature postulates mind. He had said that even a little flower proves the existence of God, for the little flower has law, order, beauty, design, means to an end, and that always postulates mind. As I cried out in agony to the Lord, as I held a little flower in my hand, I said, Lord, I know you're there. The little flower postulates mind, and this mind is God. I said, you're powerful enough to take care of me. Because I'm looking into the heavens, and I see that you are guiding Arcturus. If you could only guide the one planet, you'd be infinite in power. But you're guiding billions of universes. So you're powerful enough. The little flower says you're wise enough. And it says you're intricately interested in my life. So I know you're there. I know you reveal yourself to me in the Bible. Because the Bible contains 1,335 prophecies, 1,000 of which have already met the point of fulfillment. And I said, when I read the Bible, it makes me a different man. As I bring simple faith to your word. When I neglected, I'm a weak man. Men and women by the thousands to whom I presented your word. Some are murderers, some are thieves, some are adulterers. Their whole lives were changed by your word. I know that you're communicating to me in your word. And then I picked from my library a book entitled Education. There I found it said in the prayer of faith there's a divine science. I said surely this chapter will give me the science and it said the science was to build a prayer on the promises of God. Page 258 of that lovely book said we must ask for the things that God has promised. Then it spelled out the simple ABCs of prayer. A is ask Matthew 7:7. 7, 7. B is believe because God cannot lie Mark 11:24. And C is to say thank you Lord I've received John 11:41. I fell on my knees claiming the promise of Philippians 4:19. I said Lord the answer is there. I jumped in my car and claimed the promise of Psalm 32:8 that he'd instruct me. I found myself going turning to the left and then to the right until I found myself right in front of of my atheistic attorney's office. I said, no, Lord. The Lord said, yes. I went upstairs, walked into his office. I said, where can I borrow $6,000? I'd already brought the 3500 in on time. I'd sold my house. Where can I borrow the $6,000? He said, down here at the bank. He called a friend. He called him Bill. He said, this is Phil. Loan Dr. Kuhn $6,000 on his note. I walked into that bank signed a note there was deposited to my account with no cosigner, $6,000. I said to Bill one day, do you usually loan ministers money like that? <laughs> he said, we have a policy. We never loan ministers anything unless there are five property owners who cosign. Friends, this is the science of prayer. I learned the simple ABCs. In the next study, we shall present to you how we we're able to to follow the simple principles. My friends, God delights to answer prayer. He even answers selfish prayers. But the more we grow in unselfishness, the more delighted God is. He wants us to turn to nature and combine nature with his written word to learn of him. And he said, now look, I reserve to my own infinite wisdom the how and the when of the answer. Don't try to to shape me up. And then he said, look, if you'll come to me in simple childlike faith, asking, believing, and claiming my promise, I will never let you down. I said, Lord, I'm going to take this to the world. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.